On this vote, the yeas are 50, the nays are 50. Three-fifths of the senators duly chosen and sworn not having voted in the affirmative. The motion is not agreed to. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Down it goes, the top priority. <laughs> you love to see it. You love to see it. Welcome to the Ruthless Variety Program. I'm Josh Holmes. I'm here with Comfortably Smug and Michael Duncan, a big win for the home team. Yes, uh, S1, HR1, the so-called Democratic Voting Rights Bill, which Jesus, is in fact That's anything, know, but. Uh, anything but, goes down uh, in defeat in the Senate. But I, I got to say, the one thing I really enjoy about it uh, is having to uh, see Kamala Harris up there with the, the job of reading out the failure. Oh, you know. I mean, there is honestly so much to enjoy about this. Like, you had that brainworm ad, which was put out about how, like, all democracy, and I guess their kid, like, I guess Mansion kills their kid in the future or something like that, yeah. is on the line if this doesn't pass. And then you've got, like, the polls come out, and it's the vast majority of Americans support, like, voter, voter ID, ID, yep, all these things. And they read the tea leaves. Like, you saw Stacey Abrams flip-flop on it. You saw Warnock flip-flop on it. They know what's happening. They're not trying to get caught with this crazy bill. No, they're not. But also, speaking of that bizarre ad that we covered in the uh, previous program, didn't we put something up on YouTube? So, um, yeah, so we we, we have a YouTube channel. See, there it is. So so for uh, all the listeners of the Variety program, you know, some people have asked for like basically an archive of all these episodes on YouTube, you know, so they can just keep, you know, an open tab in their browser while they're at work or whatever. We have all that now on the YouTube channel. Um, and we also have put up uh, a snippet from last week, or I'm sorry, Tuesday's variety program where we break down that ad. So that video is on our YouTube channel. You'll have, you, we'll, we'll put a link to it here in the show notes. It'll also be on the website in the navigation, just click on that little YouTube icon and you'll see it. One thing I would ask, please subscribe to the channel so we can get like an actual vanity URL for the thing. So it isn't, you know, youtube.com backslash user backslash XRQTPV3. It's um, humiliating. It's humiliating. It really is. And I mean, like, look, we, we, we've never really done YouTube before. But maybe in the future, you know, we'll have some YouTube content. Well, that's that's the thing that I was going to add. We've got two two important developments. One, I actually watched the thing that you put together uh, that we were talking about with this the ad. Yeah. And it's got like a mystery science theater quality totally, to it. Totally. It's hilarious. It's good. I, I mean, it, it's tough to do in an audio format real justice to the brain worms of that ad. It's, <clears throat> it's really good. But then the second part is you have my word. That if we get to like multiple thousands of subscribers on this thing, we're gonna figure out how to introduce video to this. It's gonna be interesting. <clears throat> yeah, baby steps. Baby it's gonna steps. be interesting. Smug, we're gonna have to talk Smug into some kind. I don't know if he's gonna go Wizard of Oz on it or what. What's gonna? I got some ideas. He has ideas. His ideas. It'll be the tie in the shirt over his face or something. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> Either way, I think the video is going to be on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, go to the website or, or you'll see the link here in the show notes. Go to the YouTube and check out that, uh, that snippet from Tuesday's episode. It's pretty funny, I think. So <clears throat> before we move on, I know our intro here was all S1, HR1, Dems top priority. Republicans killed it. Great work. Did you guys get the feeling it was it's so amazing to watch the press cover this thing because it's 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 like there was some cliffhanger that just was solved. Yeah. Right? There's this major decision that oh my gosh, voting rights has now gone down in the United States Senate, <laughs> which is like beyond insane. Right. Beyond insane. But but also as if there was ever any doubt about the outcome of this piece of shit legislation. Yeah. You know, like they introduced this same thing two years ago and variations of it for the last 30 years. Like nobody wants this piece of garbage. Nobody's ever wanted. And then they have a 50-50 Senate and all of a sudden they're like, oh, yeah, Republicans are going to go for this mess. And and what really gets me is the way that the media covers this. They're like, this is a voting rights bill. No, it's not. This is a federalizing elections bill. Talk about what's actually in it. What's actually in it is things like public, the the public taxpayers paying for elections. Paying for ads in that, elections. That's the thing. It's like your tax money is now going to be running ads. <laughs> your, your tax money is now going to pay for the robocalls that hit your phone. Right. Well, thanks to <clears throat> thanks to Cocaine Mitch and the crew in the Senate, we don't have to worry about that. But my Lord, if you, if you watched a second of news, which I try not to, uh, you would be under an entirely different impression about what went down this week than what actually happened. Yeah, uh, you know, I think a lot of the libs were sort of holding out hope that, you know, basically by getting the entire corporate media establishment on their side with this false framing of voting rights, they could somehow create the outside PR pressure to, you know, push this over the finish line. But it was I mean, it was never close. At never all. close. Never close. Well, <clears throat> uh, what I wanted to just touch on quickly, Duncan, how's the merch? The merch is great. Having a rep over there at Teespring is is fantastic. Thank you uh, for that. I got my t-shirts in yesterday, and they look awesome. 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 Yeah, we've seen a lot of great pictures from people. Keep posting them. Keep tagging us. We love to see it. Oh, I was going to say, uh, yes, keep doing that. We also just kind of like we've had an Instagram. Yeah. We're adding to it. We're now focused on it. Let's just yeah, put it Yeah, we're gonna We're going to be posting a lot of content on there. You know, this isn't our day job, so um, you know we're 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 trying to to produce all of this content. Folks, this is Duncan's full time job. If you <laughs> want him to do anything, tweet at cyber him. bully me. <laughs> tweet at him. Um, but we have intern Kelly who's helping out. She's fantastic. She's and, wonderful. And um, you know, one little flag on the merch is we've got this new hat, this ruthless variety program hat, which is sort of uh, an homage to. Um, you know, the Zoomers aren't going to know this, but back in the 90s, uh, this hat brand called The Game had these fantastic college hats. Mm-hmm. They're the best. You know, that would have, you know, the, the school's mascot and the bottom would say the name. Um, and that's basically what this is, is an homage to, to that sort of style of hat. It's just a white snapback, classic, perfect for the beach, a lot of fun. I love it. I love it. And I'm really looking forward to mine arriving. I did get my, my tank. So... You ready know, for the I summer that. i'm ready i'm ready um one other piece of housekeeping and it's the reviews 
Thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the reviews yeah. that we're getting. Uh, I, I mean, I, reading these things, it's really gratifying. I, I'm, I'm so thankful for all the people who are listening to this. But I, I think we want to start incorporating some of these, don't we, Duncan? Yeah. Um, the reviews are fantastic. We absolutely love to see it. Um, to incentivize people, you know, these, these algorithms at all these platforms are all obviously all based on engagements and things like that. And so, you know, the more people that leave five-star reviews, the better it is for the old variety program. So if you leave a five-star review and a question, we will answer, answer it here on the pod. I love it. I love it. Now that's a good hook. That is a little, a little carrot. I, I, I love it. I love it. Okay. So we'll get to that. How this speaking of carrots, Netflix has introduced a dating show for furries, and I can't make this up. I think Beto signed, like, I heard that Obama's got a Netflix contract, right? So I'm guessing Beto signed a Netflix contract, and now they have a dating show for furries. It's the sickest thing I've seen. Absolutely degenerate. Wait, I think he does have a Netflix contract. Does he? Yeah. Whoa. This is his first, you know, my guess, this is his first program. You think he's going to get an an EP credit in this? Furries. No, I mean, Okay, so what he's talking about is Netflix's new dating show, Sexy Beasts. Good God. Absolute degeneracy. It's a new dating show where real-life singles sport elaborate makeup and prosthetics to put a true blind date chemistry to the test. I don't, I mean, I guess we're just all out of ideas. (laughs) Disgusting. (laughs) Because if you click on this thing, I encourage you, go to the Twitter, go to the Netflix, whatever. You got to watch the preview for this thing. It's positively ridiculous. It's so weird. Well, it isn't like they're just wearing a mask or something. I saw some of these pictures. There's someone with a dolphin face. Someone <laughs> yeah, with a like, full-on beaver. It's like very, very elaborate. Whoa, 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 whoa. A, a full-on what? A beaver. Like, the face of a beaver. Oh, the, oh, okay. It's unbelievable. And and here's the thing is, how does this get okayed? At what point are they like, you know what would be a great idea for a game show? Dress them up as animals. It's just the weirdest. Nice beaver. Well, here's... It, if you could be on any game show, which game show are you on? I don't know. I I'm still fighting through. <laughs> I'm trying I'm, to find a segue. I'm still fighting. Because there are children I'm listening to this program. I'm still fighting through the Duncan any, any, any game, Any game show. Any game show. Oh, gosh. Uh, pass. Well, pass? I can't, you can't pass me. I am like literally can't catch my breath. Yeah. I um, um, I would love to do one of those survival shows. Yeah? Yeah. I think that would be... Naked and Afraid? Yeah, Naked and Afraid or Alone. Alone's pretty badass. I would love to do that. That's intense. I was going to say like Jeopardy. (laughs) I think (laughs) I'd crush it on Jeopardy. No, Jeopardy's fantastic. No, I got to tell you, Family Feud is where it's at. Yeah, that'd be good. So the one thing I would say about Jeopardy is when I play at home with my wife, she does that super annoying thing where I answer the excuse me, I have the question, but I just say the what the answer is rather than form forming a question. question. And I mean, like there have she been- She corrects you. She corrects me. Good for her. It's like, no, you didn't actually get that point because you didn't ask Bingo. it in the question. <laughs> like, get, come on. That's right. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> Katie, if you're listening and we know you're not, uh, we can understand your frustration. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What's yours? Oh, Family Feud? Yeah, I think it's Family Feud. If no, if for no other reason, you got a good camaraderie on that show. I've always got, a, I, I like the interplay with the family and you feel like, you know, it's not like the, the glaring lights all on you. You can kind of work your family around it. Seems like a good. Yeah, you know who would crush it? The like ruthless crew. 
yeah, on Family, on family, family would Feud. would destroy any team out there. I feel like we would dominate. Yeah, and it wouldn't be close. Dominate. All right. So before we get into the serious business here, uh, and we have serious business, believe it or not, border and such, mm. um, I want I want to bring in Hollywood Hand because... Hollywood Hand has an important update. We've been waiting with bated breath for now 13 years to hear from Miss Britney Spears. And it appears as though that is happening. Yes. We are actually mere minutes away from hearing from Britney Spears. She is going to be, for the first time, speaking out about her conservatorship. And um, she's going to be addressing the court via Zoom. And what they're expecting is that um, that she's going to talk about wanting to remove her father from her conservatorship permanently. Right. He's already removed from her person, but she wants him removed from um, managing her funds as well, her Makes money sense. as well. Um, but the big question mark that you know we're waiting on is to see if she stops just there with her dad or if she asks to have the whole thing, conservatorship, be ended altogether. Mm. And it's interesting because we've never known her thoughts on this. Everybody's just guessed based on hints that she leaves on Instagrams and things that she likes and, you know, on social media. So everybody's waiting on bated breath to see and what she's, she says. And she's actually going to be doing the she's speaking, be not doing like an speaking. attorney. Yep. But so one hint was that her boyfriend was wearing a free Britney t-shirt oh, and gosh. posted on social media. So everyone's kind of wondering, they're like, oh, is that a hint that she's going to actually ask for the conservatorship to end? And the New York Times put out a piece earlier this week saying that through her lawyer, she's been trying to end this for several, several years wow. and has been denied. And so now she's finally going to be addressing the court. I herself. mean, honestly, it's completely insane. Like uh, the amount of money that her conservatorship, you know, has, has essentially siphoned from her is nuts. Like uh, I can't remember what her net worth was, but it's like, it's a, like 60 million. Now. It's, it's a fraction of like what Beyonce or Taylor Swift and, and Britney's been at it for like much longer mm -hmm. so i mean someone someone's not been doing their job if, if 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 she you know has done all these tours and residencies and the album sales and that's all she has to show for it and some of the things she said um or that came to light in the new york times um in some of these court filings like she wasn't allowed to repaint her kitchen cabinets what because her dad didn't think that that was a good use of her money she had to perform with a 104 degree fever um, because, you know, her handlers forced her to. I mean, truly, she has been, her rights have been so violated for the past 13 years. Basically, they've been like, you're fine to go perform and do exactly what we want, but how dare you ever do something that you want? And she is a grown woman. Scary. It is scary because, you know what, if this, is, if this can happen to Britney Spears, yeah, who else can it happen to? I think the courts have, unless there is something that we really don't know about the situation from from the vantage point that we have now, the courts have really done a horrible job protecting. She's she's been unprotected her whole life. They gotta they gotta elevate this to the federal, get them Trump judges on it. Yeah, that's that right. That would do the job. Well, so the judge has switched. So a lot um, there was another judge prior to this who kept saying no, no, keep everything in place, and this newer judge seems to be the first person who. Who seems to be a little bit maybe opening open huh. to having things change. So, listen, so there's no decision today. There's well, we don't know what she's. I don't think so. We don't. No one officially knows what she's asking. We're assuming she's going to ask for her father to be taken off and possibly ask for the thing to be um, terminated. But I don't. 
think we're going to get. It's not going to be a resolution today. <laughs> but she could be my woman victory this summer. What oh. if she's? Oh, what wow. if she wins? What if she wins and then Simone Biles and the gymnastics team wins? Those are going to be my women victory. Yeah, you know, I, can, I count Brittany as a DGAF though. So that's a, that's a DGAF <laughs> win. Another, another win for the dudes. I feel like there's no. Just Total no. DGAF dudes win. rock. No. Like dudes you, you mentioned your boyfriend, Brittany. the one with the free Britney shirt. What does he do? Um, he's a trainer. Yeah, that's t- dudes I, rock. He, yeah. <laughs> right, right, he, he wins. was in her. Mu- network. He was in. Good he was in trainer. her. He was in her music video <laughs> yeah, for wait, Sleepover, like, and that's how they met. Like no question, this guy's got the free Britney oh, shirt, yeah. right? Because like he's the b- biggest beneficiary of Can this situation, and he's been outspoken against her father. I'd as be well. like, well, listen, Britney, yeah. yeah. you got to manage your own money. You have to take <laughs> care of it. You, like you're in control here. Why are you letting someone else mess with your money? You know, the guy is smart. <laughs> Honestly, maybe he's the one behind the free Britney thing. He might be. You no, know? I'm not letting you take anything away from Britney on this. <laughs> this is hers and hers alone. He has nothing Dude to do with winning. anything. I hope they free her. He's going to cash in so hard. I need to learn Allegedly. this man's name. Allegedly. Shout out to that it's trainer. Sam. I don't know how to pronounce it. Go that. Sam. You know what, Sam? Good Sam, work. the soon-to-be millionaire. Playing the long game. <laughs> I cannot believe. You know what, I can't. Be, I can't believe Smug turned this around. There's no. No, I'm. I'm refusing to allow Dude's that to happen. Wrong. But also, he. Everybody who's been around her has had to be approved, so he thinks it could be good for him. But let's say she gets free, and then she can date whoever she wants. Who, who's to no. say he sticks no, around? He, he, Sam knows what he's doing. Wait, 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 wait. She, she, her boyfriends had Everything to be approved by the conservatorship. Every, everybody who enters her circle. Has to be approved. But wait, so her dad, yes, ostensibly is yes. approving who Britney Spears yes. is dating. Yes, or has in the past. That switched in 2019 when this other girl took when this of her guy person. got in. Bingo. With this guy, smugs on the is like here. she's been controlled by other people her whole life. Her whole so life, it's so sad. Sam knows. Sam's yeah. like, all right, now I got to be in control. See? I need to call the shots on those millions. No. This actually reminds me. He's like, free Britney, babe. The more, the more. <laughs> is this, this is a horrible, horrible take. <laughs> Britney it has is. clawed her Best way take. to get to this point. Sam the man. And she, she, is the win- the, she is the victor here. This actually reminds me a lot of what happened to Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys. Well, I didn't you, know about this. Yeah, well, you know, he... He had a lot of mental problems and started seeing the psychiatrist who, you know, eventually took over all of his affairs and, you know, all of his finances and girl, you know, girlfriend wanted to come in, you know, take him out on a date or everything had to be approved by his psychiatrist for for years. You know, I mean, he 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 stayed in the house for years. I mean, he, he really had a lot of mental issues, but eventually they figured out he was sort of being over medicated. To be in this state of, you know, that's terrible. The man yeah. made pet sounds. Yeah, you can't do that to him. Absolute can't genius. Do can't do it. He needs a Sam. People have also <laughs> people also have come out and talk about, talked about Britney being over medicated when she was the host of the X Factor guest host of that. Well, show. Yeah. That's what's the what's the first clue? Did you <laughs> see her on that show? Yeah, my God. I know. And so, wait, what was the X Factor? She was like a guest host. It was kind of like, like a, a voice talent, type thing. Like a, yeah, um, like another talent show. Look, I, I I'd have to be medicated to watch that shit too. <laughs> It's terrible. <laughs> I hate that sort of television. And you're going to keep us updated yeah, on this? Yeah, so as, as as things break, I'll I'll keep you guys updated. I love it. Nice. Hollywood Handy, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, hold on there a minute. We have late breaking news. Brittany has spoken. Yes, Brittany has spoken, everyone. And let me tell you, her testimony was heartbreaking. Mm. The takeaway 
She says, I want to end the conservatorship without being evaluated. I want a petition to end the conservatorship. Britney Spears wants out. Wow. And typically how you have to end something like this is you petition to end the conservatorship and then you have to be evaluated by doctors in order to prove that you can take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Then the judge has to approve it and it can end. But she's just over it. But she's just over it. She doesn't want any evaluation. She just wants out. I mean, we expected her to say she wanted out, but obviously this is a little more aggressive she's done with it she is done and some of the things that she said were yeah what did she say is going on so sad she said um she talked about basically how she was on lithium for several years that's heavy Jeez, stuff. that's and intense by people were giving her lithium that's what she was medicated on um for five years and it was like she was drunk um she five said years on lithium lithium is a very like it's heavy duty and having to perform having to perform and she said um she said my my it's my wish and dream for all of this to end she really comes out hard against her family she said i would honestly like to be able to sue my family my attorney said i can't let the public know anything about what has been done to me but it's not fair that they're telling lies about me openly even my family and this wow. this is a court uh, court appointed lawyer a court-appointed lawyer, she, that's what she said. She said, I haven't even had the opportunity to handpick the lawyer myself. Um, everybody's been taking advantage of me. Um, she hasn't been able to see friends that she's made. She feels ganged up on, bullied. It just seems like every every worst nightmare that we thought was happening was actually happening. She's in prison. She's in prison. She's a slave. Yes. They basically just keep her drugged up and they're like, all right, perform, make money. She That's said. It. She said that um, in one rehearsal, she like didn't do a move right or choreo. You know, she did something or didn't do something. And her manager called her therapist or person to say, Brittany needs a session because she's not um, performing well in rehearsal. So everyone in her life is a snitch right. at this point. And so she said, Jody, who's who is in control of her person at this moment. She said, you know, she knocked her dad out of the position. This Jody girl's been in control. And she said, Jody's gotten heavy handed too. Like, I just want my life back. I just, they, they, um, if she didn't do certain things that they said, they said that she wasn't going to get paid and she wouldn't be able to go on Maui to Maui on, on vacation. I mean, it's a process that would drive, a sane person yeah, insane correct. that's the thing like that's that's the thing if everyone around you you know is like against you right snitching on you wants your money and you're like uh, by law they get to call all the shots yes. you can't do anything about it that's and ooh. she said she didn't know she was able to petition the conservatorship before of course they wouldn't let her know Jeez. so it's a gravy train i mean this is just horribly horribly sad and Clearly, her coin-appointed lawyer. I, like, I don't know what's going on there, but um, the judge at the end asked if you know he wanted to file an official petition. So Brittany stopped speaking, and then the judge is like, "Okay, do you want to file a petition to end this?" But she literally just said she wanted out, <laughs> and she wanted out. And he said, um, "If Brittany wants to file one, he would do that." But she hadn't asked as of yet. Wait, he, she, <laughs> she's literally asking right it's now. It's like she just did, dude. So maybe you should go ahead and file that sucker. You know, what? It's, it's, it's such a incredible example, just a microcosm of the problem with this whole conservatorship in the first place is like mm-hmm. she has no agency. She's not treated as a human being. Yeah. She literally just stood there and said, hey, I want out. 
And then the judge just basically ignores her and speaks to the lawyer. And and part of this is obviously the legal system. And like, that's the way it works. I get it. But it's such a perfect example that illustrates how messed up this process is for a person who has no rights right now. That's insane. It's just total, truly, it's just total abuse, it seems, from an outside perspective. so, So what happens from here? So what happens from here, obviously, we're, we're giving this to you as it's breaking. So we'll probably have some follow-up stories. But, um, I mean, hopefully her lawyer gets his act together and takes what she says to heart and actually files an official petition. And then it will be interesting to see what happens there if, if, if they can waive the doctor, you know, evaluation that she wants or, or where it goes from there. But this is just big, big news because this is the first time anybody's heard from her. And it's very clear she wants not just her dad out of this. She wants the entire thing totally done. And the other big takeaway is that she seems to be very angry with her family. Well, we are going to stay on top of this story. Thank yes. you for that update, Hollywood Hen. Yep. Late breaking news. Um, all right. So let's go down to the border because we finally have the vice president of the United States, the czar, or as czar. appointed by President Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. She's decided to go to the border. But has she really and i wonder why i wonder why so it's like uh uh trump announces he's gonna go to the border all of a sudden after how many days since she's been announced as the borders are all of a sudden she's going to the border but here's the kicker here's the kicker not only did trump get her to go to the border she's going to the wrong part (laughs) yeah she's going to the wrong part she's going to el paso which is like a thousand miles from the Rio Grande Valley where like the crisis is right. going down right. because she can't let all the journals take pictures of her while like bedlam and all hell is breaking loose. She's going to be like, hey, folks, I'm here in El Paso. Everything looks good. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Thumbs up, folks. And all the journals will be like, yep, seems fine to me. She's picking up the old El Paso Tex-Mex. Yeah. Kit. Yeah. I just I, I love Stop the, by, I, grab a meal. I love that Donald Trump basically trolled her into doing her job. It's something else. It's truly incredible. I mean. I don't understand why they wouldn't have taken this as an opportunity right from the very beginning because everybody knew that they were soft on the border. And if they just put a little effort into it and actually tried to figure out how to fix things, I guess they knew that their their primary intent was to screw it up in the first place. So you had to kind of avoid it. It was going to get worse. Yeah, I guess they knew that. So that's probably why. And then the other thing, and we talked about this previously on the program, but I think there's a tension between, you know, the Biden White House and Kamala Harris's um you know yeah. future political prospects and yeah, she's she, like when is this guy gonna croak she wants she she wants her profile elevated to be the heir apparent yeah she wants to be a 2024 right. nominee but she doesn't want the the pitfalls the responsibility but biden learned that comes all with of this from obama yeah who if you recall when obama passed this first stimulus first of all there's never and proven to this day there's no good way to spend a trillion dollars there's corruption, there's fraud, there's terrible stuff that goes. So anytime the government does that, the, the job you don't want is to be the guy who's in charge of the integrity of the money being spent, mm. right? So Obama, first thing he did is put Joe Biden in charge of the stimulus back in 09. And it was a disaster, right? They're building turtle tunners, tunnels and sex studies and everything else. And Biden's getting raked up one side and down the other. I guarantee you he learned all that. He looked at the border crisis oh, and he's like, nice, yeah. Hey. You're in charge of this That's, one. Yeah. What I love about it is it really is proof of what we've told you from the very beginning, that politics is not the West Wing. It is Veep. It is. If you've dude, ever watched so Veep, true. you know that the vice president 
gets roped into being the face of everything terrible. <laughs> and 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 the the thing to always remember is they're responsible for the crisis. When they were running, you know, on that debate stage, they asked, "Okay, Dems, if uh, someone enters this country illegally, who's going to hand them, you know, uh, free 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 health care and whatever else they need?" And every hand goes up. They want to decriminalize it. They said that all from the debate stage. Raise their hands. And the thing is, is when you, when 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 you completely decriminalize people illegally entering our country, it's not just decriminalizing; it's incentivizing. Right. Yeah. I mean, they've just screwed this up. I can't. I kind of can't wait to see the theatrics around her visit. Because oh yeah. How do you even make her feel seem competent at this point? <laughs> you know, you can't. Um, speaking of incompetency. Mm-hmm. You guys saw the New York City uh, mayoral election? Yeah, and, and you know what? It's funny. It, it's like such an outsized amount of attention is given to this totally. mayor's race. Like, currently in New York City, the unemployment is twice the national rate. You know, you see what happens when you've got single-party control of a town. New York is absolute wreck. It's heartbreaking how many small businesses, restaurants, all like a lot of the places I love, permanently closed. Um de blasio everyone knows has been an absolute disaster but you know i guess it's fun because they're doing this like ranked voting i mean it's just yeah so that's the best part is democrats conjure up this ranked voting issue and so you can't actually tell who the winner is on election night. well the thing i really love about the ranked choice voting is in uh the last few days of the campaign there were accusations from various parties about you know, forming an alliance on the ranked choice ballot. My people vote for you second, you know, that whole sort of thing. And the response was, wow, this is voter suppression. (laughs) (laughs) I just like shocked that they found a way to claim voter suppression in their own election. In all Democratic (laughs) It's so good. But the thing that that has come forward that I think is pretty clear, we've talked about with Governor Abbott, we talked about with a bunch of guests, and we've talked about the program basically since we started last October, is the issue of crime. Yes. Right. So all these progressives are trying to run these woke campaigns with the exception of one dude, this Eric Adams, who's a retired New York police department captain, 22 year law enforcement career. He's got the lead. The guy's up double digits. You know, look, he's not my cup of tea, but he's the only one in the race who was talking about law and order. Yes. You know, and it's there were a lot of very interesting takes. From him seeming, it, it's looking like he's come out on top. Uh, he after after uh, you know some of the numbers started coming in, he gave this statement where he, he he said, you know, social media doesn't decide voters; social security, you know, recipients right. decide elections. Right, right, right. It's just what we talked about, I think, on last episode about you know the Twitterfication of public policy and politics, and because you know these journalists spend so much time on the platform, it informs the stories that they think are important and informs the policies that they think are prevalent among the electorate. And those things aren't real. Yeah. Journals are like, you know, four standard deviations left of where the public is. And they've become such activists. Like they're like, Oh yeah. You know, like, like, uh, uh, in San Francisco, chess has basically made, you know, crime legal. They're like, Oh, (laughs) this is absolutely normal. This is what you're supposed to do. I mean, what's wrong with like, uh, letting people just shoplift, you know, the insurance will cover it. What's wrong with burning down a building? Their insurance will cover it. And that's not what, like, people, actual people believe. That's, that's like, journo, dem-operative think. 
Well, it's just it, 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 a totally separate world. Absolutely. Right? Well, Biden's a perfect example, too. You know, remember how many people were giving him campaign advice on Twitter, and he didn't take any of it. Yeah. Right? And then he walks into South Carolina, and suddenly the election, the primary is over in 48 hours. Totally. You know, and this is a guy who had lost multiple primaries. And then suddenly, with, you know, the off the internet, not the way to online, the normal everyday people that make up the Democratic electorate are like, actually, you know, he's kind of our guy. <laughs> right? And so everything flipped in the course of 48 hours. And it's just, I mean, none, this is just proof of that. But the, the, the hilarious thing is, so he's having, he had a bunch of mayors come over to the White House to discuss crime, right? Which is so funny because for so long, Dems have basically said, you know what, you know, uh, riots are the voice of the unheard. We should just let these people do whatever they want. You should, you know, uh, there's nothing bad about burning down right, businesses. Yeah. Property, That's proper, totally okay. Yeah, property destruction isn't violence. And now clearly they've seen the polling. Yeah. And they're like, uh, we need to uh, make crime uh, a priority. And then the, the headlines that you're seeing from journals are hilarious where they're like, Republicans pounce on rising crime. Pounce. It's like, yep, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's probably not that tough to pounce when New York City has had 462 homicides. Jeez. Jesus. You know, like that's not pouncing. That's just kind of looking around and being like, guys, we got a problem here. You know? Yeah. I mean, all of these places, all of these these cities, I just, it sucks because they're great spots. And in in recent years, before the pandemic, um, they were great. All of these cities were awesome to hang out. Good food, good people, safety, everything else. Dude, there's two empty storefronts in our building right now as we speak. Yeah. On, you know, on, on the street level. I mean, DC's a mess. It's a mess. But it's all, you know, only part of that is because of COVID, to be honest with you. Right. The other part of it is that there was protests for six months downtown where they were unabated mm -hmm. and encouraged. And so storefronts were absolutely crushed. Everybody decided to leave the city. And now you got just sort of an abandoned place. You can't even go get lunch. Like, I don't, I don't know. There's like two, three places where we are in Washington, D.C., that you can walk to and go get lunch. The rest are closed. Right. It's like Subway or build your own salad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so uh, this is the statistics. It says New York has seen a 73% rise in gun violence from June last year. And that's the thing that they'll say. They'll say, oh, so it's guns. Yep. Oh, so it's guns. No, 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 no. It's the effing criminal you eat. That's the thing. And, and these are like cities with the like, toughest you know, gun laws on the books. And then uh, front page of the Washington Post, as homicides soar nationwide, mayor see few options for regaining control. It's a, it's a party of zero ideas. You know, Dems almost universally say tighter gun laws are needed to curb uh, violent crime and then, you know, invest in, you know, I don't know, what do they call them? Like uh, community outreach, whatever, like social workers. Um, that doesn't get the job done. What you need is to, they've been telling us we need to defund the police. You need police. You need police in these neighborhoods that are suffering from the worst gun crime. And the best solution that like the Dems are offering is, you know what? Get the cops out of there. Dude, they, they dismissed charges. I saw this recently in New York. They dismissed charges on, you know, for all those people who were looting. Yeah. In New York. Yeah. And then you're shocked to see crime goes up when you don't punish crime. Yeah. It's just terrible. It's just terrible. Um, anyway, I think all that's good for the Republican Party because there's only one party that's actually talking about this stuff and actually trying to do something about it. So, you know, add that to the long list of reasons why we're looking at a red wave. Um, 
What Speaking a... of Red Wave, honestly. <laughs> we got an interesting interview today, don't we? We got a great interview. We got a great interview. And this is this guy could very well be part of a Red Wave. Sean Parnell from Pennsylvania, running for Senate. You may have heard the name last year. He was running uh, for the House against Connor Lamb in a very, very difficult Democratic district in Allegheny County, sort of the Pittsburgh area. Um, he came up just absolutely hair short, but he's decided to give it another run. I was really intrigued. I didn't know much about this guy, but I think you'll really enjoy the interview. I want to welcome to the program a best-selling author and a candidate for Senate in the great state of Pennsylvania, Sean Parnell. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me back to the program. Is that what you, <laughs> that's what you do, right? The program. That's exactly right. You're a very quick study, Sean. Very quick I, study. I try. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, but I try. <laughs> well, listen, it's great to talk to you because I've heard um, incredible things about you and, and folks who were able to work with you last cycle, uh, but we haven't had a chance to meet. So, you know, look, I, first thing I want to know is you're a pretty interesting guy. Um, before we get into the politics, you wrote a book called Outlaw Platoon, and it was about your experience in the army uh, in Afghanistan. Can you just kind of give us a a little overview of what all that was about. Yeah, so I was an elementary education major in Clarion University, uh, and one day I woke up on my couch, uh, surrounded by beer cans, had the hangover of a lifetime. Uh, my primary concern back then, by the way, was trying to figure out how I was going to manage student teaching second grade. <laughs> right. But, but I wasn't sure that that's what I wanted to do. Like most sophomores in college, I was just, I was just felt like, hey. Uh, my parents said I should go to college, so here I am, and I just picked a random major that I thought would be a good fit, and so I stagger over to the TV set with a hangover and turn it on and watch it flicker to life just in time to see an airplane crash into the World Trade Center, and, yeah. you know, like every American that lived through that moment, I was angry, I was a little bit scared, I was shaken to my core, but, you know, in the wake of the most horrific terrorist attack in our nation's history, I just felt like I believed, uh, I knew exactly why God had put me on this earth, and that was to get in the fight. And so, um, went to Afghanistan, uh, right on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan in 2006 as a young infantry lieutenant. Uh, our mission back then was find Osama bin Laden. Uh, unfortunately, you know, in over 485 days of combat, we, we didn't find him, but we found thousands of enemy troops. And yeah. My platoon took an 85% casualty rate. Some of my men were wounded twice, some three times. I was wounded myself. And then uh, shortly after uh, we came back from Afghanistan, I was medically retired as a captain, came back here to Western Pennsylvania, where I was born and raised. And I just felt the need, like, like my next mission was telling the story of my troops who by and large felt forgotten by Americans, right? Not in a negative way, like Americans would thank them for their service and then promptly ask, hey, where were you deployed? And they'd say right. Afghanistan. And then Americans would say, oh, Afghanistan, thank God you were there and not Iraq because Iraq is just so dangerous. And my men would be like, what? Yeah, well, huh? I just like got shot in the head last week. What are you talking right. about, you know? Right. So, I wrote this book. I started writing this book. I'm not like the best writer in the world. Uh, writing a book had never been part of my life's plan, but um, you know, I, I wrote the book, and in its first week, it took off and became a New York Times bestseller, and was a New York Times bestseller for several weeks. And so, uh, and that book is just—it's—it's it's not political. It's just about my time in Afghanistan as a young leader, and really, it's a testament to my troops. And the reason I wrote it was. 
to capture their legacy, make sure that Americans understood what they went through so that that legacy could be passed down from one generation to the next. Yeah, I imagine you keep in pretty close contact with all your guys. How's everybody doing? Yeah, I think people, you know, it's hard to say. It varies. I mean, my platoon has done two or maybe even three combat deployments since I've been back from the first one. And, and tragically, we've lost more soldiers, I think, to suicide than we lost in two or three combat deployments, which is, mm-hmm. you know, this, that's part of my mission when I came back, right? Like, is seeing the struggles of our men and women in uniform when they come back from war. And ironically, you know, when men and women come back from war, the real war begins. And so, you know, watched my men really, some, some did great, some not so much, but that's why I sort of threw myself into, you know, a, a charity organization that I, I co-founded called the American Warrior Initiative, which I've been working with uh, for a decade that gives service dogs to vets, first responders, and their families. And so- it's oh, great. You know, that's, that's what I was doing, you know, before I got involved in this crazy world of politics. And, and I, blame, I blame President Trump for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as if you had, uh, you, I mean, you were dealing with an amazing life to begin with. And now all of a sudden you want to serve in a different way. You get yeah. into politics. I mean, have you lost your mind? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, like, you know that this, too, along with writing books, similar as writing books, like, this was never part of my life's track either. I never, right. I've always been involved in the fight. Like, I've volunteered on local, state, and federal campaigns. Um, you know, I've always I've been involved on the, on the donor side of things, like, once or twice. But well, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you grow up politically motivated? I mean, were you consuming the news and sort of were you political at, at all growing up? I mean, I come from a family of, you know, half family of Allegheny County, uh, Western Pennsylvania Democrats and half Republicans. So I've right. had like, you know, we've always been political. Thanksgivings have always been like, very, <laughs> very interesting. Um, but, but, you know, for me, like, I, one of the things that I learned in Afghanistan is, is the whole idea of servant leadership and, and the idea that leaders work for the people, not the other way around. Right. And so, um, I, I've always been interested in the concept of leadership and, 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 and the philosophy of servant leadership and giving back to my community. And so I just see politics as a natural extension to that. But again, like, like this was never part of my, President Trump called me out to do this randomly. Like he came to Western Pennsylvania, gave a speech at the Marcella Shale Coalition here in Western PA. At that time, I'd never met him, never talked to him. I wasn't even at the event. I was in South Carolina giving a service dog to a veteran. And you know, I'm, I'm up on stage, like giving a speech and like, you know, you've had those moments where like your phone is just ringing and it's vibrating <laughs> right in your pocket over and over. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, did I say something offensive on social media? Yeah, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> and, and I get off stage and I see like 56 missed calls. I'm like, and, and text messages. I'm like, oh my God, like what's going on? And my mom is just ringing my phone off the hook. And now I'm really worried. Now you're worried. Yeah. Like there's a death in the family or something. And my mom is like, I come from a big Italian family in Western Pennsylvania. She's like this fiery Italian woman. And she's not doing that unless there's something ground shaking that's happening. And when I pick up the phone, I like sneak off stage. I'm like, Hey ma, like what's going on? What's wrong? And she just starts yelling at me. She's like, Sean, are you are you running for Congress? Like, <laughs> not that I know of. I'm like, no, I'm not running for Congress. What are you talking about? And she just paused and she just goes, well, 
President Trump says you're running for Congress. I'm like, what? Like, so I had, and so she sends me this video, and sure enough, it's President Trump, like, doing the whole, like, John, brilliant military man, he's got everything going. And, and I'm like, how is this my life? And so with no political experience in October of 2019, like, I was like, turn my life upside down. I got in the race uh, against uh, Connor Lamb here in Western Pennsylvania, who many people believe, you know, because his district here in Western Pennsylvania, PA 17, everyone acknowledges here in Pennsylvania that it was gerrymandered by the PA Supreme Court to protect right. him. They drew his hometown in that district. His family, his family name, the Lamb name, has been entrenched in Western Pennsylvania politics right. in the middle of the 20th century. Everyone said he was unbeatable. And so we raised record-breaking sums of money in, in yeah, like almost a year with 45,000 individual donors. And even with like all of the big tech censorship that happened in 2020 and the media almost universally stacked against me uh, and Pelosi spending millions of dollars attacking me in PA 17, I didn't have any like outside help, right? I raised all the money on my own. And, and again, and running against Connor Lamb, who at that time was the Democrat golden boy. That oh, totally. We yeah. lost by a few thousand votes, and I yeah, take, was close. I take a little pride that it took them almost a week to beat me. So, <laughs> I'm, so, so, um, you know, and, and if you look at the turnout metrics um, on paper, like they, it's like people say that PA seventeen or leading into twenty twenty was like an R plus two. Uh, it's not. It was no. a, it was a D plus district in twenty twenty. If you look at the turnout metrics, well. Pennsylvania is not a D plus state. And if you can keep it close in areas like Allegheny County in and around the city of Pittsburgh, you can win Pennsylvania, man. It is, it is far more winnable than people inside the beltway think or understand. I mean, you've done your homework, John. This is, you've gone from a, a soldier and a book writer to all of a sudden, an, I could put you out with <laughs> Charlie Cook. This is pretty yeah. good. Yeah, well, look, I mean, so part of, I learned a lot, right, in 2020. I'd never run a campaign before. It was like drinking from a fire hose every day. And like, you know, I, we've got a rule, like I've got a rule in my campaign. Like you don't get a job in my campaign unless you're humble, hungry, smart, right? There because you go. I want the right attitude. Like Culture. Far, yeah, culture. yeah, there's far too much ego in politics. I can't stand it. I loathe it. So I want people that have good attitudes that believe in something greater than themselves. And that's, you know, protecting and preserving the American way of life and the American dream. Um, and we've got a great staff and we, we learned a lot through 2020. But one of the things that was like my number one lesson was that Republicans focus on campaigns. Sometimes they run good campaigns, sometimes not so much. But Democrats focus almost exclusively on elections whether it's at the local, state, and federal level. Every election is just a little bit different. But 2020, they clearly had a plan, right, to weave chaos into the system. And I'm not talking about, like, voter fraud or anything like that. I'm talking about unilateral changes yeah. to election law in the middle of the game that exclusively benefited them. And now you're seeing, you're seeing Democrats focus on elections today in the form of H.R. 1 and S. 1, right? Yeah, right. That's what they do. And so moving forward, Republicans have to have a foot in both worlds, right? You got to run a great campaign and you have to focus on what's going on with the elections and be involved on the front end, right? Knowing what they're doing. So, so much about being a leader on the battlefield, man, is like understanding what the opposition is doing, you know, not <laughs> so, to the talking points level, but so, so politics is the same just without bullets, you know? It, and so 
it's that's my job. Understand what the political battlefield looks like, I feel like. And I feel like we've got a great understanding of Pennsylvania. We know what we have to do to win, where to go to get the votes. And I feel really good about it. It's so refreshing to hear that. I, you know, I spent, you know, 15 so odd years in, on Capitol Hill and was totally motivated by this, this issue and the fact that Democrats were always focused on elections. Always. always. Right. It, 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 Always. Everything from everything we're seeing now with a voter ID debate yeah. or, yeah. you know, yeah. like the full vote hauling, ballot harvesting. Ridiculous. The, yeah. I mean, they've been trying to do this forever. Right. But it was very, very difficult to try to get Republicans engaged in this debate because it's, you know, it's like it's esoteric kind of policy based stuff. But man, is it important. I'm really glad to hear you're focused on that. You have to be. And, and you know, I think for me, it's like a couple things about being a conservative Republican, right? Is that you judge your success by, or you judge whether or not you're over the target on an issue by if the Democrats are attacking you at the same time the media is. Yeah. That, if that is happening, you know you are over the target. And for decades, right, the, the, the Republican Party and I think the establishment party has tried to sort of cozy up, hey, if I'm nice enough to these people, they'll be fair to me. The reality is, in this day and age, is the recognition that they likely will never be fair to you, right? They've got skin in the game. Um, what their end game is, I, I really don't know. I mean, do they want us to play second fiddle to China? I don't, I don't know. Um, seems like it. It certainly <laughs> seems that way. But look, it's when the media and the Democrats are attacking you at the same time, you don't retreat. You, you've got to be default aggressive and lean into the issue even more. So the issue. And what I mean by a perfect example of this is voter ID. You talk about voter ID, it has broad bipartisan support nationwide and indeed here in Pennsylvania as well. Like, you know, like some absurd number, like 90% of Republicans, 70 plus percent or 80 plus percent of independents and like 60 plus percent of Democrats and 65 plus percent of, of black Americans support voter ID. Like, so the bottom line is take the fight onto the political battlefield. Right. And sway public sentiment with sound arguments. I mean, of course, the Democrats are going to cry racist. That's what they do when they're out of arguments, right? So let them do that. Because I think the American people, and I believe on both sides of the aisle, are tired of, you're a racist. It's like, wait, no, yeah. actually, I just, I just think voter ID would make our elections better. Yeah. It's a common sense idea. You know? One of the things I was really impressed about with your, your opening video for your Senate campaign was the idea that within your platoon, you're working with people, you don't care if they're black or white or whatever. I mean, this is just, these are your guys, right? Correct. And, and all of that is just so easily extra extrapolated out into this country in the way that people conduct their lives every day. But there is this professional class that is created entirely to try to rip us apart, right? And, 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 and liberals think we're entirely identified by what we look like. And I, I thought that you hit it out of the park with your message on that. Oh, thanks. You know, and I, I appreciate that. And the reality is, is yeah, we, I did serve, you know, black next to white, Christians next to atheists, next to Muslims, rich next to poor, young next to old, Democrats next to Republicans. And somehow we figured out a way to make it work in one of the most hostile regions on the planet, we, acknowledging that, that there were no hyphenated Americans in our platoon, just Americans. And what we all learned out, out there was that you know, when we are united, you know, under a common banner fighting for a common mission, we can accomplish anything as Americans, right? And, and the same is true here at home. 
So if I can bring together a motley crew of diverse infantrymen on the border of Afghanistan, I sure as hell can do it here at home. And that's, that's the mission, right? Bring people together. Uh, and and the, the radicals, uh, the radical left, they divide, they have to divide people into little groups, right? They have to play the identity politics game because that is the only way that they hold on to any power. And that's so, right. it, it, you know, part of my mission is to be the opposite of that. It's like acknowledging that, yes, of course, we're, we're all different, uh, but we're all Americans at heart and a strong, prosperous nation uh, lifts us all, right? And so, um, you know, part of my job is, 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 is as a campaign uh, in 2022 is, is not just going to where people um, agree with me. Uh, leadership is about going to places where people don't and making the case and swaying public opinion. And that, that's, that's our pathway to success. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because Pennsylvania, obviously a tough state. Uh, we've had brief interludes of success over the years, but by and large, Democrats have had a lot of success here. But I think one of the things that has been true of Republican success over the years, and Pat Toomey had done this very well when he was elected twice, is to have the same kind of hold that you're talking about in the, in the western part of the state, which I think you're uniquely qualified to do, Sean. But then also try to bring some of these Republicans back in the southeastern part of the state, the, you know, the Bucks County, the Chester County, the Delaware counties that have been longstanding Republicans that over the last four to six years have just decided enough was enough, and they started to vote Democrat for the first time. What are we going to do to get those folks back? So, so a couple things, a couple stats about 2020. Yeah, yeah Pennsylvania is always going to be tough. It's a swing state. But in 2020, we had two Republicans win statewide, even amidst all the chaos here, right? And congressional Republicans, I think another critical empirical stat uh, is that congressional Republicans statewide in 2020 got over 85,000 more votes than congressional Democrat, Democrats. That is statistically significant. It is. And then you add to that our judicial races. We, we elect our judges here in Pennsylvania. We had two ballot questions on the ballot here that were, that, uh, were directly affiliated with whether or not Governor Wolf should be able to unilaterally extend emergency declarations here. Yes, yeah, I saw that. The was, we covered won, that. Yeah, we won those ballot initiatives by 139,000 votes. <laughs> and so I think that... You know, people in this state are waking up. Uh, they're very motivated. And I think, you know, there are, you know, there are going to be hundreds. You ask the question, how do we get those people? Well, first we go there. We make the case that, you know, more freedom, more economic prosperity in your life. Um, and the Constitution, the idea that our rights are protected, that are protected and enshrined in the Constitution, they don't come from government. They come from our creator. They come from God. And taking those those arguments that like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness doesn't mean we all have to live the same life. That's right. As a leader, I will protect your ability to chart your own path, right? Taking that message to those people, but also Joe Biden's kind of a good salesman too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he is. Like a lot of these, there are hundreds of thousands of independents in Pennsylvania that like maybe thought Joe Biden would be a moderate unifier that he's going to bring people together. But if you look at what he's done in the first 150 plus days, you go from in just like what less than five months from border security to border chaos. You go from peace in the Middle East to rockets fired at Israel. You go from uh, tax cuts to tax hikes. You go from price stability to the to the greatest inflation that we've seen since 2008. Energy independence to gas lines. Totally. People see this stuff, right? And so. 
my, my campaign is like, it is, is having a very ambitious agenda and a vision looking forward, not, not backwards, a vision looking forward to make this state the most prosperous state in the entire country. There's no reason why states like Texas and Florida should be beating the state of Pennsylvania. And if you bring economic prosperity and pro-growth policies back to Pennsylvania, we won't have people leaving like they're doing in droves now. And of course, you see that reflected in our census data here. People leaving in droves because Pennsylvania is not an easy place to start a family. And it's an onerous place from a regulatory standpoint to start a small business. We need to change that, keep people here, keep our talent here. And, you know, pro-growth, pro-freedom policies, you look at states that do it well, like Florida with, with Ron DeSantis and Rick Scott and a Republican-controlled legislature, they are killing it. Well, yeah. we can do that. We can do that as well. No, that's good. We have a saying on this on the program, don't take the bait. And what that means is you got to look forward. And that is exactly what you just articulated. I absolutely love it. I got three big questions before I get you out of here. And these are the ones that the minions really pay attention to. Okay. <laughs> uh, they may have been charmed so far, but they're really interested in this stuff. So your last your your last meal on earth, what would it be? Oh, well, that's that's very clear. It's mac and cheese. I look at Every, everything that I do, every restaurant that I go to is looked at through the prism of a of, of mac and cheese, right? One, the first question is like, one, do they have it, right? If they don't have it, I don't go to that restaurant. Bad restaurant. <laughs> Two, it's judged on a scale of one to 10, one being the worst mac and cheese in the world, but 10 being the best. And so uh, like, that's the first thing that I, so it's obviously mac and cheese. So wait, 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 let's break this down. So, so, you know, some people will say like a craft macaroni and cheese is a 10. Where, where, what, what constitutes a 10 for, for you? You know, I think every restaurant is different, but I like, I like when they get, when people get a little creative with the mac and cheese, right? Like, and by the way, Kraft mac and cheese is awesome. Like, it is awesome. I don't have, I mean, it's, it's a timeless classic. I'm not, you know, it's really great. And, and my, my daughter, my kids, they love Kraft mac and cheese, but, but like, I like, I like it when they put like a little breadcrumbs on there. Hey, if you want to oh, yeah. put a little bacon on there, I'm not going to complain. I'm not right. going to complain, you know, so just get creative with it. But one thing I can't do and I learned this the hard way before a speaking engagement in Arizona is lobster mac and cheese. I'm like, oh, yeah. and I'm like, this is delightful. Six hours later, I found out I was allergic to lobster and shell. Oh, no. And it was not so delightful. So, Oh, yeah, that's a tough, and especially on the road. That's a real tough way to find out you're allergic to shellfish. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough lesson to learn, but, but the taste in the moment of that delicious mac and cheese was, I think, worth it. I love it. Okay. All right. So you previewed some of this. And the question usually is, if you weren't involved in politics, what would you be up to? I think we kind of know. But if you were never involved in, in public service, let's, just, let's, let's put your military career aside. You're not involved in politics. What would you want to do with your life? Oh, my God. You know, it's, this, is, this is a really, it's kind of a deep and profound question for me because, you know, I, I am who I am because 9-11 was a horrific day in our country's history. Yeah. So, so many, it really just changed the trajectory of our entire country, just for, through, through the way in which we look at and view the world, right? But I also like, you know, I ended up, ha you know, being up at Fort Drum, meeting the best soldiers that I ever served with, you know, and, and it totally altered my life. And, you know, while it was of course negative, it was, I had some positive experiences brought it as well. I, the reality, I don't know what I would be doing. You know, I sure as hell, I sure as hell wouldn't be writing books for a living. I wouldn't be going on, on TV and talking about counterinsurgency and foreign policy and national security. I think 
one thing that I can, I, I think I would be wholly focused on is, is really raising great kids yeah. you know, and, and pouring myself in to be the best family man that I, that I can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good, that's a good answer. Uh, all right. Final question. What motivates Sean Parnell more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Uh, <laughs> that, you know what? Not raising liberal children. <laughs> That's an agony of defeat. That's an agony of that, defeat. That would be, that would be. But you know, for me, it's like, like I, I really think it's important um, to teach our kids that, that freedom has to be fought for. And, yeah. and even taking them on the campaign trail uh, and, and showing them that, that, that you have to fight for it. You can't fight for it inside your house. You have to go out there and constantly make the case to the American people why having more freedom in their life is a good thing. Um, but, but raising kids that appreciate this country, that, that understand that service to others is, is the highest honor and, and giving without any expectation of receipt is, is really uh, the, the pathway to a meaningful life. And so, you know, I, I, I said, in, you know, I'll try not to raise liberals, you know, but the reality is, is that if my kids grow, if one of my kids grows up and, and is a, a liberal Democrat, like for me, it's like, as long as they understand their views and are passionate about them and can defend them in the public square without saying like racist like that, that's, that's ridiculous. But I'd be proud of them either way if they were passionate about serving their country, serving others and defending freedom. Well, it's the right focus. Listen, Sean Parnell, I can't thank you enough. We got to do this again. There's a long campaign yeah, sure. <laughs> and we're going to keep track of this. There's no, nothing more important for the listeners out there. We got to have Pennsylvania, extremely important. We got both the primary and a general, and we're going to be keeping track the whole way. Thank you, yeah, Sean, for joining us. Win Pennsylvania, save America. That's the motto. Get it in your head. Win Pennsylvania, save America. That's the mission. Crystal clear. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, you're welcome. Awesome. That's a good interview. And that was heavily requested by the Minions. Yeah, yeah. Minions Minions love this guy. I mean, it's hard not to love this guy. Yeah. He's got two bronze stars in a purple heart, and his public service continues. You know, the guy guy is, he's smart. Uh, I liked him. There's going to be a tough primary there. I know we've got other candidates. We may even have him on the program. But we could do a lot worse than that guy. I know that. And you know what? That brings us to the end of another banger of a show. Uh, so thanks again to all our listeners. Uh, the, you know, we love our numbers. Tell your friends to subscribe, leave those five-star reviews, ask the question. Uh, and I think, you know what? I think we should just have a bonus episode tomorrow. This, this is feeling good. We should, we should, we should drop a third episode this week. Who's on board. We good for that. I'm good. I'll yeah, do it. Yeah. Good? All right. So there you go. Bonus episode. So let's go until next time. Minions. Keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Friday. Stay ruthless.